It's time for your daily dose of Cyclone coverage on 1700 KBGG. Hey, everybody, welcome in. It's the second hour of Jimmy B and TC right here on the Big Talker 1700. Uh, this is going to be fun now because it was media day for the Iowa State Cyclones. That means Matt Campbell and company meeting the uh, the news media. Alex Halstead was there. Uh, he joins us right now, 24-7 Cyclone Alert. Alex, uh, as always, pal, welcome to the show. And what did you gleam out of the uh, media days with Matt Campbell, his third media day? Yeah, this media day was a little bit different because we've already talked to Campbell twice in the last week. We talked to him last Wednesday and then at the preview fall camp, and then we talked to him Friday after the first fall camp practices. So the house cleaning stuff, all that sort of stuff is kind of in the past. So there was nothing really newsy, and, and we kind of asked him about the stuff we wanted to ask him. But some stuff was still pretty interesting. I thought, you know, one thing that I've been interested, because he, he mentioned it Friday and I thought would be interesting to talk to him today about, was his post-game message in the bowl game. Because after that game, uh, J.D. Wagner told me, he said, that Campbell had just come, come into the locker room and, and said, I'm excited for the offseason. And so I kind of asked him about that, and he said, even going into that bowl game, he was kind of conflicted. You know, he had two thoughts. One was he wanted to send the seniors out with a win, but he was also kind of already thinking about what can this team do next. And so I think it's just really interesting into the mind of him where he's thinking about this is more than just one bowl game and and what he needs to do to get this program to be consistent winners. You know, the the expectations are incredibly high. The pieces appear to be all in the place. It's a conversation going back, Alex, to the springtime where we talked about those expectations and how a coach deals with that. We've seen plenty of programs that haven't been able to handle it. I know it's been a talking point over there. Why would you believe, though, it's more than just lip service? Why this is something that's really being hammered home by this staff to these guys? Yeah, that is that is kind of the talk of Campbell, and um, that kind of goes back in hand-in-hand with that poll game. That's, he, he said today the reason that he he did do that where you know, he kind of already said, hey, I'm ready for the offseason, you know, I'm ready to get going on next year, is because he said that he understands that expectations now are going to be raised and that they have to be able to deal with expectations. He said, you know, last year and the last couple of years, all these players have heard is you can't win at Iowa State, you're not going to win. And he said now it's kind of there's still maybe some negative, but that now it's like they have these expectations. He said that's a whole different thing to deal with. And so um, he uses the word ego a lot, and he said that if, you know, if, if, if this team starts thinking like they're better than they are, then they aren't going to have success. And I think, you know, it can sound cliche, but he, he brings up the margin of error at Iowa State not being very big. And I was just looking through some data. And going back to 2009, Iowa State's played 42 one-score games. And it is a small margin of error at Iowa State. And there have been years where I think Rhodes one year went like 0-5. And, and you're not obviously going to bowl games in those years. Last year they went 3-4. and four in one-score games, and um, I think Kyle Kemp has said it and kind of probably trickled down from Campbell, they could have probably, you know, went 9-3 and three if they went a couple more of those, but they also could have lost a couple of those one-score games they did win and been a 5-7 and seven team. And so that's kind of what Campbell said is, yeah, it was a good season, but we're still right on that margin of error and, and kind of pushing that. It's not like they've arrived yet. 
Having a good conversation right now. Alex Halstead, 24-7 Cyclone Alert is our guest. All right. So the expectations are sky high. Did you get from the feeling, I guess, from talking to Matt Campbell, some of his assistants, the players today, are their expectations sky high? Yeah, I think, I think they expect to be competitive in every game. I think that's a confidence that they've started to play with since beating Oklahoma. Um, I think just the fact that they beat Oklahoma on the road in that game with everything working against them, I think it's given them confidence that they're good enough to compete with anybody. And, and Campbell referenced that again as maybe an aha moment last year where it doesn't mean they are going to go beat everybody, but it means that these players at least have confidence that they can. And so I think there's a lot of confidence in that. And, you know, Kemp just talked about this too where, you know, they, they understand the urgency, especially with their schedule of not taking, you know, it took them by four weeks to really start to settle in last year. But they don't have that luxury when you're playing, you know, Iowa week two, but even week one you're getting a top five uh, FCS team, or they might be number six, but then you get Oklahoma week three. And so they, they know the urgency of it, and so, but I think they also have confidence that if they're playing their best, that they can be any of those teams on their schedule as well. Alex Halstead joining us as we take a look around Iowa State Athletics. You can find his work over at Cyclone Alert. Dot com part of 24-7 Sports. Alex, uh, another thing that I wanted to get your thoughts on is the offensive line. And we talked about it a bit last week with the depth chart that came out and, and then what you guys were able to see in the open practices for the media members. And, and having Julian Good-Jones, his flexibility, a guy that has a lot of starts on the inside, now out of the tackle spot, Injuries seemingly happen to every offensive line. It doesn't matter the level of football that you're talking about here. How important his flexibility is to be able to man really all three positions, center, guard, and tackle. Yeah, he's the key to that offensive line because they're still trying to figure out their, their best five starters. But three of them that are cemented in probably as starters are doing good Jones, Josh Kniffel, and Bryce Meeker. Meeker and, and Kniffel probably at right guard and right tackle. Good Jones is kind of the piece that can move around depending on who else emerges. And so Campbell is really, um, really excited that he could play guard, tackle, or center, depending on kind of who emerges for, for those other two jobs. And um, I asked Campbell today because, um, because he keeps saying that that offensive line is kind of the piece. You know, it, how good that offensive line is, he basically says, is, is what is going to determine a lot of their success in 2018, and he's challenged them with that since the spring, he said that when you look back to the bowl game, that's the first, that was really the only time last year and probably since he's been here that they've been able to run out the clock by running the ball and having a four minute offense. And that line did its job. He said, that's been a struggle for two years is being able to do that in the fourth quarter. And so that's been a big challenge for that offensive line as well. But having good Jones, Kniffel and Meeker as three guys who, you know, Good Jones and, and Knipple both started 13 games last year. They have experience. They're all juniors now. I think that's going to be a key, and it's kind of who, who emerges in those other two spots because they like what they have, but like Campbell said today, until they actually start playing, there's still going to be questions about that offensive line. You know, it's interesting because one of the things that Trent and I have discussed on this show is now this team really starts to resemble what a Big 12 conference team is supposed to look like. I mean, they got some big boys on the offense, uh, offensive line, defensive line. We know what they have at skill positions, 
but do you just sense that they have all of a sudden flipped that that switch, turned the corner, however you want to describe it, as to keeping Iowa State at Big 12 conference levels in recruiting? Yeah, they, they looked the part. I mean, a lot more than they did back in the 2016 or or before Campbell got here. You know, we, we saw practice last Friday, and in the morning session was the, the first string. And so I, I went and stood up close to the the defensive line, and you got Andy Wazrique and Jaquan Bailey at the edges, and then Ray Lima and um, Jamal Johnson in the middle. And those, they're just all, they're all much bigger, both frame-wise, length-wise, but um, just overall body-wise. I think, you know, Jamal Johnson and Ray Lima are both around 300. I talked to Camilo Tangamoa today, and he's still fighting for an interior job, and he's at 310 right now. He, he told me he lost, you know, we talked about it before, but 25 pounds. He said it was actually one of the funnier moments for me at me today. He was at uh, Juco, and he said, at Juco, you don't have food. You don't get meals. He said he got here, and he got three meals a day, and he said he, his quote was that he just lost control and he kept eating. <laughs> and so that was kind of the thing for him the last year was he, he gained so much weight because he wasn't used to all this nutrition stuff, and now he's kind of back down. But just guys like that, I mean, he, he could be your number two tackle, a 310-pound guy that's a senior. So they physically are a lot more where you would want them to be in the Big 12 Conference. You mentioned uh, Tangamoa. What is the expectations for him? A rotation piece, certainly up front. And uh, in terms of snaps, uh, 20, 25, 30 a game. Give me a ballpark of what you expect to see out there for Tangamoa. Yeah, both him and Matt Leo, I think, are interesting because Matt Campbell has talked about how he thinks both of them are ready to contribute. I think expectation-wise, I think the expectation should be a little bit higher for Matt Leo just because I think he, he's been clearly battling – with any Wadrique for that defensive end spot, and I could I could see as much as those two splitting snaps, you know, or game to game switching in and out. But Tiger Moore could do the same thing in the middle, um, and I, I think the more they can rotate, the more fresh they'll be. I mean, that's one thing Campbell said is there were guys that towards the end of last season that were getting close to a thousand reps on the season, which is way too much, and that's why depth is going to be so big for this team is to be more fresh, and Tiger Moore could play a role in that. I would. I think you're probably right. Twenty twenty-five, I think, would be a good number. And I think some fans would like it to be higher, but at the same time, it's going to depend on how much you want Jamal Johnson or Ray Lima off the field. You know, those guys you're going to want fresh. You know, three hundred pounder can't play seventy-five snaps a game, and so that's why I think Tonga Moore is going to be so key in that he could be that first guy that rotates in, and that gets him, you know, maybe twenty-five plus snaps a game. Where are you on uh, quarterback Kyle Kemp? Everything that I hear Matt Campbell say doesn't even look like the same guy from last year, has a coolness, a calmness about him, and he looks like a starting college quarterback uh, in a major conference. Uh, are you down with that as well? Yeah, I think he's the type of quarterback that could be good for Iowa State in this, this kind of season. A guy that has a 5-1 to touchdown-to-interception ratio. Um, they didn't lose the fumble last year other than the Montgomery one. You know, when you go back to the the – uh, the turnover margin thing and, and the small margin of error, if your defense is good, he's the type of quarterback that at least don't think he's probably going to make many mistakes and can keep you in. Probably isn't going to lose you games. And so I think that's the kind of quarterback that could work well this year. The 15 pounds is noticeable when you see him. Kemp admitted to us, even though, you know, there is the 15 pounds. He said he's, his arm feels better. He feels better, but he said he knows he's going to have to show it in the game because he can sit there and talk about it, but he's got to show it. So, I think that's still a little bit of unknown, but like Campbell told us before, this guy went from being basically for four years a scout team MVP quarterback, not getting hit in practice, obviously not getting hit in games. He had to take hits in games. He had to play actual games 
to know how to adjust. And now that he's done that, Campbell said he thinks the reps are going to be the biggest difference for him. And he said that's why he sees a confidence in him this fall is he's been through it. So now he's making uh, even better decisions and not, and not like, you know, just, just taking hits and, and not knowing what to do. He's been through it really for the first time in his career, even though he is a six-year senior. Alex, uh, as I'm sure you know, I'm a Bears fan, and I've uh, been reading a lot about Anthony Miller, the rookie wide receiver, trying to help out that depleted core. He has had rave reviews, but you go back to the bowl game when Iowa State was playing against him, and over on his side of the field, he was basically shut down by Brian Peavy. You got two great cornerbacks back in, in Peavy in pain, but is Peavy got even another level this season where we're not talking about you know a second team, all Big Twelve kind of guy? but can put up numbers to maybe even be an All-American? That's their challenge to him is, and DK McDonald, the cornerbacks coach, talk about how they're challenging him not to necessarily just be the best corner in the Big 12, but to contend to be one of the, the best corners nationally. And, and that's something he plays the chip on his shoulder with. I mean, he's an undersized corner to begin with, and so PV's a guy that's always kind of had that chip just because I think people have probably told him he's too short to cover some of these guys and, and those sorts of things. But he's played at a, a very high level for the last several seasons. Um, it, it seems like he's been at Iowa State for quite some time. I mean, he's going to have played three years under Matt Campbell, which is crazy to think. And um, he, I think he does have another level. I mean, there was a reason he came back and didn't go early to the NFL. I think there was a couple things they wanted to see. And the number one thing, they just wanted to see consistency. Um, you know, we saw in Big 12 play at times, teams didn't, they didn't pass towards him even. And, you know, Memphis targeted him a little bit more. I think he made probably a mistake or two against Anthony Miller. But like you said, he also made some plays against him. So uh, I think... That's going to be the big thing, and they got him and Payne, and then you got Demonte Ruth now at safety. They got three veterans there, and I think as much as those guys having good years, they really got to bring the guys behind them along because that, you know, after losing all three starting safeties from last season, after this season they're going to lose all their corners, and so it's just kind of a constant cycle of college football. But PV this year gives them arguably the best corner in the Big Twelve. When when you watch, uh, when you get a chance to watch some of the practice sessions. They got a awful lot of QBs, and I'm just kind of curious. I know what the two deep says with Kemp and Nolan, but where are you on the other guys that you're getting a chance to see? Can you make a determination on those guys yet? Well, Campbell said today that he thinks that the one thing is that they all have uh, they all have you know characteristics that you like and, and ability that you like, and that he thinks that there there's like you said, it's, I wouldn't say it's too many, but it's, it's about as many as you would want. So it's really making it competitive between those three to even be the third string. So, you know, one and two is pretty set with Kemp and then Nolan. And then you got Brock Purdy, uh, Real Mitchell, both true freshmen, and Devin Moore, a redshirt freshman, but a guy that missed a year because of an ACL injury. I, I don't know who's number three. I, I kind of get the sense that, you know, if Brock Purdy could learn the offense quick, he could really vault up into that spot just because, you know, what little bit we saw, he's got a really nice arm. But it's also another dynamic because maybe Real Mitchell's not number three if you were going straight quarterback, but he might be the best chance out of those three to play this year if they do a special package. So I think they all have different roles potentially, um, but I think they really like Brock Purdy's uh, talent and a guy that obviously had a lot of interest late you know, from a Texas A&M. You know, the talent's there. It's how, how quickly does he adjust to the playbook, and they would probably hope he doesn't have to burn his redshirt this year, though. Thought it was interesting. Uh, you had a quote from Matt Campbell from today talking about going in and studying other teams. And this is something that obviously happens across football. No surprise that Matt Campbell has his staff 
do something like that. But but just the way that they go about it, assigning homework, if you will, to to members of his staff, finding teams that fit what they do offensively, both in the college game in the NFL. Take us to that conversation and, and your takeaway with Matt Campbell and some of the offseason work that they had. Yeah, he had mentioned the NFL early on, and so then I asked him later, I said, I, you know, I thought that was interesting you mentioned the NFL. How much do you put into that in the offseason? That's when he kind of went into, he said, they take four teams from college football every offseason and four from the NFL, and they do this on both offense and defense, but you know, for, off, let's say, offense, and they try to find four teams that fit at least kind of what they do and just try to, they just try to study the game. And he said they come back for spring ball and uh, maybe they end up deciding it doesn't fit their players. But he just likes to always kind of be thinking of, of different things. And we really see that. You know, it, he has some things that maybe sometimes sound like cliches, especially I think you know, the players' formations plays is what he says a lot. And you know, that's how kind of the order he goes. But we've really seen it. You know, we saw them adapt to the defensive scheme last year because the four-man front wasn't working. They thought they had players that ran the three-man front better, so they went to that. And I think... The same thing's probably going to hold true, and I think we'll see it offensively this year. Is last year they didn't use the tight ends a lot in the passing game. This year they feel like they have them. They might adapt their offense more towards a tight end and running backs. And so he really does, you know, switch things. And um, you know, I talked to one assistant. He said they even did that for recruiting. Where in Campbell's first years as a head coach, period, they looked at what uh, Clemson was doing, what Oregon was doing, just recruiting wise. And so they really study things, whether it's offense, defense, special teams, or even recruiting, Campbell's pretty introspective as, as a coach. And I'm sure most coaches are, like you said, but it's sometimes interesting just to hear them talk about it. It's always good, pal, when we get a chance to catch up with you. Uh, was there anything that stood out? You got about 40 seconds. Anything that stood out to you today that you went, oh, I didn't know that? Well, one other funny story was, you know, we hear so much about Jaquan Bailey Campbell kind of ribs him when he when he talks about interviews. They're they're staying in a hotel for two weeks during fall camp here, and he pairs them up with just random roommates that maybe they don't know. And so he said last week that Jaquan's by the worst roommate to, to have. Jaquan told me today that uh, Ray Lima plays a game with him to see who can be quiet the longest in practice, and Jaquan still has not won that. You know, he's <laughs> he's an interesting guy, um, but you know, but someone I think that that kind of adds another dynamic to that defense. Good stuff, hey Alex. We will do it again soon. In fact. Uh, we're going to see you out at the fair on Thursday. Looking forward to that. And, well, you have to work a little bit later that evening, but maybe we can sneak a cold one in beforehand. Yeah, I should have a little bit of time between, and I don't think I made it to the fair last year, so this, this gets me out there right away. There we go. Alex Halstead, he'll be joining us from the State Fair coming up on Thursday as we'll be there live from 3 until 6 o'clock. Coming up an extra hour of the program before Kansas City Chiefs football, Jimmy B. And we know you got no time for the fair, so you're not even going to make it out there. I'll just give you a call or something. And that'll that'll be fine. Look, I I, I don't care about the butter cow, okay? Um, where are you going to be Iowan. located? You're not, you're not a true Iowan, Jimmy B. You're not a true Iowan. Well, the butter cow just doesn't do it for me. Uh, where are you going to be located? It's a great question that I don't know the answer to. Wherever, <laughs> wherever the cumulus stations are set up, that's where I'm going to be. I'm the guy okay. on, the, on the live remote on opening day on Thursday. I don't know where they're putting me, but I'll find my way, and I'll let the people know when I know. You know how radio is. I'll find out last minute, and we'll let everybody else know last minute.
Sounds like a plan to me, everybody. All right, we're coming right back. Uh, Paul Myersberg, USA Today, will be our guest on the Big Talker 1700. Stephanie Goodhue of Iowa Realty is a full-service residential realtor serving all of Central Iowa. She specializes in new construction, relocation, acreages, single-family, and condo townhouse sales. Stephanie Goodhue, a buyer's agent and a seller's agent, along with a member of the National Association of Realtors and the Des Moines Area Association of Realtors. Let Stephanie provide a free market analysis if you're considering selling your home. Stephanie Goodhue of Iowa Realty. She will lead you home. Sponsored by Indeed. Are you hiring? With Indeed, you can post a job in minutes, set up screener questions, then zero in on qualified candidates in an online dashboard. Get started at Indeed.com slash hire. At Pi 5 Pizza Company in Ankeny, you have endless possibilities. Come on in and build your own specialized pizza for lunch or dinner any day of the week. Customize your very own pizza from the dough to the fresh unlimited toppings. Choose from personal pizza or from their new 14-inch pizza. They now even have sandwiches, salads, wings, and a variety of desserts. Pie 5 Pizza is the only place in the metro with so many choices and the only place who serves cauliflower crust in the metro and offers a great community atmosphere for all to enjoy. Like I said, there's endless possibilities here to satisfy your hunger and guarantee a great time. Download the Pie 5 app or order online at pie5pizza.com. Stop in today, 1315 Southwest Oral Labor Road in Ankeny. Pie 5 Pizza, craft pizza so fresh, so fast. Pie 5 is this week's sweet deal. Get $50 worth of Pie 5 gift certificates for only $25. There's a limited number and they're sure to go fast, so get yours Friday morning at 9 a.m. at this station's website. All money managers may seem pretty much the same. But while some money managers may recommend high-commission investment products, Fisher Investments avoids them. Some money managers may have hidden and layered fees. Fisher Investments never does. And while some money managers are happy to earn commissions from you, whether you do well or not, Fisher Investments fees are structured so we do better when you do better. In other words, we're structured to be on your side. Maybe that's why most of our clients come to us from other money managers. Talk with us and find out why so many experienced investors are switching to and staying with Fisher Investments. Fisher Investments, clearly better money management. Investments in securities involve the risk of loss. Visit us at fisherinvestments.com to find out what we can do for you. An old favorite is back again with a new and updated menu, Bennigan's on Merle Hay Road. Stop by Bennigan's and check out the new signature steak and ale menu, made from scratch everyday recipes that have stood the test of time. Dinner with friends, a night out, or just stop by to watch the ball game. Make it Bennigan's, Merle Hay Road. You're with friends at Bennigan's on Merle Hay Road. Guys, football season is approaching soon. Every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday will be devoted to football. Do what I do. Build up that Goodwill bank account. And here's a way you can build up that Goodwill bank account. Take your wife or your significant other to one of the many farmer's markets located throughout central Iowa. Grimes, Indianola, Johnson, Perry, Pleasant Hill, Polk City, West Des Moines, Ankeny, Beaverdale, Bondurant, and a whole bunch of them scattered throughout Des Moines. Farmer's markets continuing through the whole month of August for more information 
information. Go to catchdemoines.com backslash events. Hey guys, Trent Cotton back here once again. Want to tell you a little bit about New Leaf Wellness Center. New Leaf Wellness has helped me lose weight, gain endurance during workouts, and one of the biggest things, have energy all day long. No more lulls during the afternoon. Great program, great people at New Leaf Wellness Center. Check them out today at 3930 West Town Parkway in West Des Moines. And all summer long, give it away iCubs tickets. Find out how New Leaf Wellness can help you or give them a call at 515-650-1358. That's 650-1358 for New Leaf Wellness Centers. Let's feel better together and turn over a new leaf with New Leaf Wellness. The Arizona Iowa Baseball Company has become a one-stop shop for all of your field product needs. Arizona Iowa Mounds can provide you with anything to make your field look great and play great from portable pitching mounds to field products and equipment. With multiple items stocked for the season, Arizona Iowa Mounds offer same-day delivery on stocked items and free field consultant to Iowa Little Leagues, high schools, and colleges. And individual lessons are available for baseball and softball players at their location. 3976 Northwest Urbandale Drive, the Arizona Iowa Baseball Company. Summer is here and when the storms hit and your roof leaks, it's time to call Wolf Construction. From a complete re-roof to just fixing that leaky roof. The roofing staff has experience working with many different roof systems with Wolf Construction and a knowledge of how the roof system works best for your home. Wolf Construction will do their best to honor you with timely communication, a job well done, and a price that's fair. Wolf Construction Roofing, 515-225- 8866 or online wolfconstruction.net Real sports talk for real sports fans Swing it a minute, slam dunk Touchdown sports It's Jimmy B and TC Oh yeah, the word you're looking for is wow Here's Jim and Trent All right, welcome back here as we roll through the 5 o'clock hour and time to get back into college football and none better to do it with than our next guest from USA Today, Paul Meyerberger joins us on the program. Paul, good afternoon. How are things? Good afternoon. Doing well, thanks. Well, uh, we were joking right before we came on the air today. All of a sudden, August, you got previews, you're getting ready for the season, you're reading through all the notebooks and media guides out there. Instead, uh, your job description changed a little bit with the latest from Ohio State. Yeah, it had been a quiet off season, and then all of a sudden it wasn't. You know, so the last week has been a bit of a of a tumultuous seven days or so since the allegations that uh, first came out, and obviously since Ohio State put Meyer on an administrative leave. So we're working our way through it. Clearly, in the last week, there's still been a ton of developments. You saw Meyer's statement on Friday where he said he went through proper procedures and protocols and reporting the allegations. You have Zach Smith later on that same evening going on ESPN and elsewhere to say that uh, Gene Smith, Ohio State's AD, had called him off the road when he was recruiting and told him to come back to campus to speak about the allegations. So we have a lot of stuff happening. Uh, it's been quiet this week, but clearly that in- independent investigation will wrap up by the end of next week, next Friday, next weekend, and we'll get to uh, just think about Ohio State's chances, whether it's with or without Urban Meyer. Paul, I'm just real curious what you think of the uh, select committee that was put together. Uh, Similar, there was a person on there that handled the Saints situation, uh, the Jerry Richardson situation, the Carolina Panthers. Just kind of your thoughts on that committee. Yeah, I think initially, obviously, as tends to happen with fan bases of any team or any sport, there was 
the thought that this would not be so independent just by looking at the names. But I haven't heard that at all. I've, given, I've received no impression whatsoever that this won't be truly independent. And obviously the task ahead of them is, is significant and substantial, and that's to find out who knew what and when and how that fits into the overall arching storyline of this whole situation, which is uh, what to do with Urban Meyer, what to do with Gene Smith, theoretically, what to do with the entire athletic department. And, and don't forget, simultaneously, uh, with Representative Jordan from Ohio, what's going on with that wrestling team mm-hmm. situation from the 80s and 90s in terms of allegations yep. of sexual abuse by the former coach. So there's a ton happening at Ohio State right now, not necessarily related, but certainly intertwined as this entire athletic department and university tries to get to the bottom of things. As you uh, go through this, initially when the reports came out, it felt like Urban Meyer's days were over. Uh, to me, that certainly has changed. As we sit here on a Tuesday, August 7th, Urban Meyer, does he coach another game for Ohio State? That's a great question. Clearly, like you said, uh, a week after the fact, things seem a little bit clearer. That road for him to go back seems a little more open than it did a week ago. Um, I don't know enough. I'm not informed enough at this point, like anyone else, to really make a, a strong lean in either direction. I will say my educated guess, just based on what I do know, is that I do believe Meyer will have the opportunity to come back as Ohio State's coach next week at the end of next week. Um, the question at that point is whether Ohio State and Meyer agree that this relationship is salvageable, what steps they'll take going forward, and of course, even if he does come back, um, I'd imagine uh, that a suspension would be I wouldn't say in the cars is certainly something that would be in play for Urban Meyer, and, and the duration of that obviously would be up to Ohio State. You know, just to follow up on, on what you just talked about, Ohio State now having practice sessions, interim coach taking over, uh, but they didn't put a guy who has previous head coaching experience in the NFL and also had a great run at Rutgers and uh, in that interim spot. Would that have been problematic, and is that why they went where they did with the interim coach? Yeah, you know, I try to get an answer on that, and I, and I haven't been able to. I think it's just pure conjecture on my point, but uh, the signs point to, to two things. Number one being that uh, Kevin Wilson, who's also on that staff, former head coach in Indiana, right. uh, the nature of his departure from IU based on allegations of player mistreatment made him a not an untenable, even short-term solution for Ohio State. So that was always a non-starter. Uh, the, the situation with Shiano in Tennessee uh, is unfortunate because there's really nothing in the world that we have at our disposal that connects Shiano in a truthful, direct manner to what occurred at Penn State. So clearly that has lingered with him, regardless of the fact that there's truth to it or not. Um, like I said, it's conjecture on my part, but I do think that the nature of what happened this past offseason with Shiano in Tennessee, and regardless of the fact that he's a fantastic football coach, certainly on a college level in particular, I think and I would assume that that played a role, but like I said, I, I can't say for sure. I, I, I just know from speaking to people at Ohio State and having connections to that program for the last year or so that Ryan Day, who is now the interim coach, co-offensive coordinator and QB coach, Chip Kelly disciple, people at Ohio State, including Urban Meyer, think the world of Ryan Day. And Ryan Day is and will be a future head coach at some school, some Power 5 stop in the near future. So Ohio State thinks highly of him. So clearly at the same time as they looked at Wilson and Shiano and might have shook their heads at the idea. Ohio State's very high on Ryan Day. And it's another reason why, even if Meyer does not return, I do think Ohio State will be ready to play in September. And even if they don't really reach their full potential, which is obviously a national title, I think it's ridiculous to think that even with Ryan Day and without Urban Meyer, that they can't win the East and end up winning the Big Ten. Paul Meyerberg joining us here as we take a look around college football. You can find his work at USA Today. Paul, uh, jumping over and, and trying to transition away from, 
from this story just to real football here for a moment. I want to pick your brain a little bit on Notre Dame. Preseason number 11. We've seen the Irish plenty of times in the past have high rankings and then falter this season. Michigan in week number one. Then the schedule eases up. Still, quarterback. Brandon Wimbush appears to be the guy, but is that competition more open than than many people believe with Ian Book and Phil Jerkovich, uh, the freshman coming in? Could you see a situation where Wimbush maybe has a pretty tight leash going into the game against the Wolverines? Yeah, I mean, I have to make a say he's got a tight leash because I do think, based on everything I've heard and read, that Wimbush is the guy without even a question as of right now today. So I do think that he'll go into that game um, – you know, without that looking over his shoulder idea, though, it's hard to say that and go out and do it. But I think for Wimbush and for Notre Dame in particular at that position, they do have a few options. I don't think the true freshman or Brian Kelly is the direction he wants to go in, but Book has played. Book has thrown the ball well, if a little bit too carefully and at times a little bit inconsistently. Um, but I look at the two of them, and, and I do think for Notre Dame, they'll find a solution out of it. I think Wimbush for Brian Kelly presents the widest skill set and the most kind of varied ability to do things within that offense. Like you said, it just kind of is not, I'm trying to think of the right word, it isn't great for Notre Dame, in my opinion, to open with Michigan. Because you look at the schedule after that, and like you said, it's very, very workable. You almost would want Michigan late in September and open with a ball state and a Vandy rather than getting right to the Wolverines. Um, but I think Notre Dame is a contender, and I almost hesitated saying that because I've been burned so many times like yeah. we all have in the past, but I think that the potential is there. And there are certain guys in Notre Dame that I think will be national names. I think Devon County, um, Tony, rather, out at, at a linebacker is a guy who can be a national name, be an All-American guy, and they do need those sort of difference makers on defense in particular. So I think there are weapons there. I think the schedule, like you said, is workable. Um, but, you know, it's 60 minutes into the season. Notre Dame can see it's kind of playoff hopes get put on life support if they get bombarded by Michigan, which I think is is obviously a possibility. Uh, I'm with you on that. I think Michigan's going to be very, very good. Uh, Take me then to the nation's number one team in Alabama. And with what Jalen Hurts had to say, thought he was pretty honest with his comments. Uh, I don't think people, or Alabama fans anyway, are used to having a player uh, talk honestly like that. Uh, What do you make of that? Yeah, it's interesting. I, and to me, that was the number one takeaway I had from that. I mean, number one maybe being the fact that for the first time in seven months, an Alabama person finally admitted we have a QB competition, although we all saw with our own two eyes what happened in the title game and knew that it was coming. I think the big takeaway for me was the fact that for the first time in a while, and you'd have to really dig deep to find the last instance of this occurring, Nick Saban lost control of the narrative. You know, he'd been trying to kind of rein this in and harness this for seven months, even went to SEC Media Days when we were down in Atlanta and said, hey, you guys, meeting the media, you created this and you gave it life and now look what you've done. As if, you know, what happened in January with Tua didn't really happen. So um, for the first time in a while, he kind of lost it. He lost control of it. And unfortunately, he's got to put it back in the box when it comes to Hurts. Um, I, when we're talking about Meyer and Ohio State having an unsalvageable relationship, I mean, certainly with Hurts and Alabama, if he's running with the twos right now, as he is, um, he'd be doing himself a disservice not to, to transfer, honestly. And, and I'm not advocating for Alabama or for anyone else. I just think that if you're Jalen Hurts, you've got two years left in the books. You haven't taken a redshirt year. You won't graduate in time for this season. You've got to look elsewhere to finish your college career. So that would be my thought and my kind of mindset right now with Hurts. But, you know, for Nick Saban, the guy is a, more than anybody, detests distractions. And this is a distraction for his team at the wrong time, getting right to the heart of Paul Camp. 
Paul, we're at the crossroads of the Big Ten and Big 12 here in our state with Iowa and Iowa Spade. I'd love to get your perspective on the Hawkeyes and Cyclones with your national view on the fringes of the top 25 for both teams coming into the season. What are your thoughts on both Iowa and Iowa State? Yeah, I think the way you uh, described it is the right way. That's how I would say it. I think both are on the fringes. Um, I think what's kind of strange and weird about the dynamic between those two teams, when not head-to-head, but just thinking about both of them at the same time nationally, that Iowa is consistent, and they're stellar, and they're there, and they're not going anywhere. I mean, you can just pencil in eight wins, I believe, for this team. And obviously, as always with Iowa, there's always the potential for more, always the potential for that kind of bump explosion, that pop year. I think it's going to be harder in the West this year for the simple fact that Wisconsin, to me, is a top-five team. I have Northwestern in my top 25. I think Nebraska is going to be unbelievably improved. So it's going to be a hard road for them to get into the top 25, but clearly they're a team with that potential. And Iowa State, on the other hand, I mean, their floor, I'm trying to think, I'm going to try not to mess up this metaphor because I always mess it up. (laughs) Their floor is lower than Iowa's floor, okay? Mm -hmm. But their ceiling, to me, obviously based on last season, is substantially higher. So I think Iowa State, it's early. I think it's a little bit early just to throw them into the top 25 based on the fact they had a bunch of nice wins last year and a really great year overall. But clearly they have that sort of potential. Um, It's just unfortunate, and this is kind of off topic, it's unfortunate to me, knowing what he's doing in Ames, that Coach Campbell needs to stand up earlier this week, or I don't remember, maybe it was over the weekend, and just kind of shoot down Ohio State rumors. That's unfortunate because I wish that people, instead of just kind of anointing him as the next head coach at here or here or here. We just focus on what he's doing with the Cyclones, and he's just doing fantastic work. If anything, I know he gets written about a lot. I just I don't even think that the work that he's done is getting the amount of due respect on the national level. Uh, good stuff out of you on that one, Paul. The ceiling is the floor, world famous by Michael <laughs> Jordan. You, you covered That's your right. base just fine. Yes, you covered your base just fine. Uh, as far as the... Uh, non-conference schedule uh, for Iowa and Iowa State. Uh, look, we, we know Iowa and Iowa State had an a unbelievable overtime game last year. Everybody is so excited about playing again this year, the Cyhawk rivalry. However, Iowa was going to have Northern Illinois considered to be the top team in the MAC coming in, and Iowa State has got to play South Dakota State. So, could we possibly see upsets early here or not? Yeah, I mean, look, we're we're all old enough to remember when NIU beat Iowa. It wasn't that long ago. So I know NIU's got that right. potential. I, I do think they're probably no worse than number two in the MAC. I tend to lean towards Toledo because Toledo's got these receivers that are out of this world and, and they can pitch and catch it. Uh, but NIU can give them a game. I mean, no doubt about it. And Iowa and Iowa State, I mean, it just seems to happen. They always meet week two, and you always kind of think, are they both looking ahead and do it? Will they get caught napping? Um, I hope not for both teams' sake and obviously for the rivalry's sake. I'd love to see them both be 1-0 and and either receiving votes or, if not, in the top 25 heading into week two. But I'd put both those teams on upset alert, even if, I don't know, I mean, NIU playing Iowa, I assume Iowa would be about a touchdown, a two-touchdown favorite. But if NIU got that win, I don't think anyone would be shocked. I think NIU is a good team. I think Iowa has had issues in the past with them. So, um, I'd hate to see them both lose. I think they will both win, on the other hand, but um, clearly looking ahead to Cyhawk, and, and that's a hell of a rivalry and, and worth the price of admission. So hopefully they're both 1-0 and in the mix. Absolutely. Paul, it's great having you on the show. Thank you very much for your time, man. You have a great day. You too. Thank you, guys.
Okay, there you go. Paul Meyerberg, USA Today, right here with Jimmy B and TC on the Big Talker 1700. Back at it, we continue on till the top of the hours. Jimmy B and TC on 1700 KBGG. Jim, uh, getting ready for the night in sports. Before we get into the baseball, let's start mm-hmm. with Hard Knocks tonight. HBO will have it 9 o'clock. And yep. it will be the Cleveland Browns. We'll be talking to Ken Silverstein later in the week, and we'll get his thoughts on everything happening with the Browns. Hey, we don't re- usually get a very good team in this spot, and, well, we get the worst team in this spot in the <laughs> Cleveland Browns, coming off of 1-31 over the last two seasons. Are you excited at all for this? I, I, don't, I wouldn't call it excitement. I'd call it interest. And I think probably the reason that we all have interest is because of the number one pick in quarterback Baker Mayfield. And I just think that people want to see if the guy was, A, worthy of the number one pick when other quarterbacks were out there, Darnold, Allen, and more. Rosen, I can toss him in as well. But Baker Mayfield... I think, is the story for the Cleveland Browns, even though we already know, Trent, that he is not going to start. We know it's going to be Tyrod Taylor, who the Browns traded for with the Buffalo Bills. And I, I guess, I'm, look, I'm, I'm more than good with that. You've had lots of top draft choices sit for a year. And this one would be absolutely no different, especially if Tyrod Taylor is playing well and the Browns are surprising some people and actually winning a game here and there. Okay, I'm, I'm good with that. But I think the interest will be, A, is the quarterback that was drafted number one, was he really the best quarterback or did the Browns reach second We know that they're not going to let anybody into that RV that's parked out there that Mayfield is paying for. So I want to see how the cameras negotiate around that and if the if the players tell them to take a hike when they want to get away and escape for a little while in that RV. And third, I want to see what Coach Jackson's doing. You know, he he's trying to walk the walk and talk the talk. And everybody seems to think when you talk to all the NFL analysts that the Browns have capabilities of winning four, five, maybe even six games this year mm-hmm. and, and, and being competitive in others. Do we, will we really get the sense that they're just not going to be just god-awful like they have been and that they really might turn into a real NFL team? That I, I suppose those are my takeaways that I want to take a look at, and probably that's why I would watch it tonight. You know, pretty much every season of Hard Knocks, you walk away afterwards saying, yeah, this team's going to be better than I thought. Last year, Tampa, I think a great example of that. You, uh, hey, talk yourself into it, and we know what happened there. And and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that will go through the same uh, with the Cleveland Browns this year, but fun. Hard Knocks is so well done. One of the best parts of August for me is Hard Knocks and going to be into it starting tonight. So changing topics here before we run out of time, Jim, and over to what we have outside of Hard Knocks this evening in the Cleveland Browns. little baseball this evening. We've also had some day baseball going on uh, this afternoon. Jim, last night my Minnesota Twins took it in the short hairs. Uh, (laughs) Just the little glean of hope that I had was thwarted as uh, they got throttled last night. So 
though I will flip it on. In fact, it's coming up here in just a few minutes. Since you get that 6-10 first pitch, I'll start my evening there. But Cubs, always got to watch the Cubs. Cubs, Kansas City, that'll be at the forefront of things. And uh, I stayed up way too late last night watching Philly, Arizona late into the evening. I might have had a wager on it too, so that also plays a part. (laughs) You know how that goes for me. But but, uh, tonight it'll be Granke in the matchup for the D-back. So I'll, I'll keep an eye on that one. Anything else grabbing your attention tonight in baseball? Also Dodgers, Oakland. And that great story of the A's is they just keep finding ways to get it done. Uh, late night, pretty good, good, pretty good baseball going on this evening. It it is pretty good baseball, and you're right. I was there uh, as well, watching the walk off home run for the Diamondbacks the, that won that game over Philly. I think Pittsburgh, Colorado. I've got a little interest in that one as well. So I think I think tonight, Trent, it's going to be you know the uh, whip around. You're just going to be uh, bouncing from game to game a little bit, just trying to. Uh, Catch uh, bits and pieces and see what uh, what teams are doing in in their respective contests. I I, I just you know me. I I start locking into baseball more this time of year, even though football is coming. Yes, I'm well aware of that. But this is when it gets interesting for me. And look, I. I, I'm going to keep, and this will sound stupid, but I'm going to keep tabs on the Milwaukee-San Diego game just because I want to see can the Brewers still hang around to keep it interesting against the Cubs. So I will sample it for a little while, and then I'll move on to something else. But I did feel bad for you last night because <laughs> Cleveland just pounded the Twins, and it was over early. Yeah, well, better that than me uh, having hope for even longer, so... It's not too bad. Didn't work out too bad. And Jim, we'll be back tomorrow on a Wednesday. We'll talk about hard knocks. We'll talk about baseball. We got college football. We got a whole lot going on. And then on Thursday, you get a break because I got to head out to the state fair and do the show. And in fact, an extra hour of the program from three until six before Kansas City Chiefs football on Thursday. So uh, I'll, I'll maybe give you a call. You can do a segment with me, but it's going to be fun. Going to have some uh, special guests that are going to be making their way out there and hanging at the fair before we get Kansas City Chiefs football. They play Houston also on Thursday night. Green Bay will be hosting Tennessee in their first game. The Bears' second game of the preseason in Cincinnati. We're going to have a ton of locals going. The Vikings are over the weekend against Denver. Mm-hmm. Yep. Football is a coming, Jimmy B. We are getting ever so close. I can't wait, pal. You know that. Look, I, I always talk about how I start to get an interest in baseball and start to follow the top teams, and that is true. But, man, oh, man, if there's a, a football game on, even if it's an exhibition game in the NFL, you know I'm dialed in. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Well, that will do it for the program today. We'll be back tomorrow starting at noon. Myself and Ken Miller from noon until 2 I was only local show over the lunch hour, then four to six on your drive home here with Jimmy B and TC. If you miss any portion of the program, you can always catch it over on the podcast page. 1700kbgg.com is where you can find it, or just search Jimmy B and TC. It'll pop up there. We talked Big Ten football earlier today with Seth Gruen. 
We had Adam Teicher on from ESPN.com talking Kansas City Chiefs and breaking down uh, 1700s NFL team in Kansas City. Paul Meyerberg on the national scene in college football was here. And Alex Halstead on the Cyclones, a busy show. A lot of great interviews will be up later this evening on the podcast page. Thanks to everybody out there for listening in. We'll be back tomorrow starting at noon, all here on 1700 KBGG.